You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Amen. Tonight, we're going to continue with our series as we run through here this look at 1 Corinthians. Amen. 1 Corinthians, what a powerful passage of Scripture, an incredible uh, epistle here given to us, relevant to us today. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, open up, if you will. I hope you bring your Bibles. We want to know, amen, that pastor's in the Word of God. Amen. And so I hope you have your Bibles, but open up your Bibles tonight, and we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 is where we're going to try to get through tonight by the help of the Lord. But I want to recap real quick for those of you that are just joining us. I want to walk through, if I can, the outline uh, that I have here. Uh, I've been using and I've been referencing it, but I've failed to put it on the screen for you. So real quick, let's just go through the outline if we can in the screen. And uh, we're looking at 1 Corinthians. There's two main divisions. We gave you this this uh, a couple weeks ago in the introduction that we're dividing the epistle into really two main parts, and that the first part is chapters 1 through 6, and that is Paul's reproofs to the church. He is uh, uh, coming to them uh, in response to things that he has heard and already dealt with, major issues. And then the second part of the epistle, he is directly answering questions that they wrote to him or that they sent to him and they ask of him. And so we divide the epistle into these two parts. So we sort of out of the gun is just reproving them, giving them instruction, if you will. And then the second part, we, we say he's giving them instruction, but he's really answering the questions that they have. So if we go to the next slide, we divide it down. We look at this. We start off with the first part. There's a little greeting here of nine verses. That's a beautiful Uh, little opener as he compliments them lovingly. And then he gets right into what we call the reproofs of the church. He's addressing problems and issues. Namely, the first thing that he deals with is division in the church. And we see that, the division in the church. And he's going to really focus on division, the division aspect of of the assembly of, of the church at Corinth in the first four chapters. And then after that, he's going to get into some other things. He's going to talk about uh, uh, their, uh, well, we'll look at that here. It's still, it's still division in the church. But in chapter 1, there's three, three things that we sort of, he's dealing with divisions in the church in the first four chapters. But in chapter 1, we sort of break it down. And he talked about address the contentions in the church right up front. And then he talks about foolishness, the foolishness of the world's wisdom. And how futile it is to try to uh, live after the world. The world's not going to understand our ways. And, and how many know that pride is a major problem? This was the issue here in division. Pride's a major, major problem. And, and at the root of pride, you are concerned about how other people think of you. And you want people to think better of you often than usually you think uh, that they think. And so you have to overcompensate for that. And that pride, it destroys. And, and, and Paul talks about how foolish this is. And then finally, in the last part of the chapter, he talks about our glory should not be in ourselves, but it should only be in the Lord. Then we went to the second chapter. And he talks about how uh, we ought to have faith in God's power. And he says, look, when I came to you, I didn't come trying to entice you with persuasive speech and all of these other things which was a custom in the city of Corinth among the Greeks and the Romans. And, but he comes and says, but I, I came to you, amen, not with enticing words of man wisdom, but in power and demonstration in the Spirit, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but that your faith should stand in the power of God, in the power of the Lord. You came to church on Wednesday night tonight. If you leave here tonight encouraged, if you leave here admonished, edified, or or have direction, it's not because I hold some wisdom, some great wisdom, or Brother Kendall, or Brother Blake, or whoever else would stand up here. It's because it's the Word of God that's doing the work. And that's the way it ought to be. Our faith 
is not in the presenter. It's in the Word of God. Because that's where the change really lies. That's, that's, where the, that's the changing agent of our life. And then he talks about, in the second part of that, he really talked about the wisdom of God. And we talked about that a little bit. So tonight we're going to go to chapter 3, and we're going to look, if we can, at two parts here in this chapter. And uh, I divide it up like this, labors with God, together with God. Uh, we are laboring together. And then the second part is the temple of God. He introduces this concept that your body is the temple or that you are the temple of God. Later on in chapter 6, he's going to talk about how your body, your very body, is the temple of God. So as he's dealing with all of these things right now in chapter 3, he's dealing with divisions in the church. And this is an interesting thing because that's the main underlying thing. And so he's approaching it from different aspects, different avenues, if you will. But he's getting to the heart of the problem in Corinth is divisions in the church. They were divided among themselves. So we know as human beings that this is nothing new. Everywhere you go, whatever social structure you have, there will be a temptation for division. Amen? So it doesn't matter. If you have a multitude of people, you're going to have division. You're going to have at least a tendency or a temptation to division. There is within a group this large, there is a temptation or a tendency towards division. Because we as individuals say, no, it should be my way. It ought to be this way. I think this is better. But we all come at that. If we all come at it with the same attitude, well, there's going to be some contention. There's going to be division. Amen. So you have a church... This size, you're going you're to have a temptation to division. If you have a church of four people, you are going to have a temptation or a tendency towards division. And all the households that number four in the church say amen. If you are a church of two people, you could have a temptation or a tendency towards division. <clears throat> All the households of two people say amen. Thank you, Brother Clayton. Right? If you are a household of one and you have a temptation towards division, we need to pray for you. But is it possible? Yeah. A double-minded man? Yeah. Unstable in all his ways? So here this great division, this contention that was in the church, Paul is addressing it, and he's addressed it in a lot of different forms in a lot of different ways. Now last week we finished chapter 2, and I would like just to revisit a couple verses at the end that we ran through really quickly if we can. So let's go to chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 14, 15, and 16. Brother Ryan, if you read for us tonight, verse 14, read. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Yes. For they are foolishness unto him. Yes. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Yes. So Paul, he's talking about division in the church, but to illustrate the division of the church, he is showing that there will be a division between those that are spiritual and those that are carnal. And there will be a division. There will be a, 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 a war, a struggle, a tension between the carnal man, the natural man, and the spiritual man. And so he's letting us know, hey, this is, this is, uh, you're not walking after the course of this world anymore. You have changed the way that you are walking. And so you are not going to be in unison, lockstep with the world. But now you are to be in unity with Christ. And that's going to separate you from some other things. He's setting them up here a little bit, if you will, for the beginning of chapter 3. Go on if you'll read 
uh, because they are spiritually discerned. So, so we, took, we took from this that we shouldn't be offended when the world or, or com- confused when the world doesn't understand us, and we ought not right. be thinking like, yeah. acting like, living like the world in their context and their natural context. Can I get an amen? amen. Right. Your thinking ought to be different after you have been born again and given your life to God than it was before so. Everything changes. Read verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. All right, so he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. I I read it in the NLT uh, last week. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. So what he's saying here is spiritually mature people, believers, have an ability to discern and an authority to, to make those spiritual decisions, but the things that are spiritual are not subject to those things that are carnal. So, so the natural man is not going to understand the spiritual man. The spiritual man can assess a situation and can make a judgment, can know things, can see things that the natural man's not going to know. And the spiritual man is not subject to the natural man. So when you make a decision for Christ, there will be times, if I, if I, I bring this down to the rubber meets the road, there will be times where you will make a Decision for Christ, a decision in the kingdom of God that the world will look at you and say is absolutely foolish. There will be things that you will pass up, opportunities that look enticing to the secular man that the spiritual man knows, ah, this is a temptation. This is not the way I ought to go. There will be sacrifices and surrenderings that the spiritual man will make that the carnal man will say, you should not do that. You should not give that up. You should not surrender that. Because the natural man is looking only after the natural things. But the spiritual man minds the eternal things. And he knows the decisions I make right now have an impact on eternity, have an impact on my soul, and have an impact on the kingdom of God. The natural man is concerned about his natural state. So the natural man says, study well, work hard, live well, marry well, do all of these things. The spiritual man lays his life down at the altar, crucifies his heart, his ambitions and his desires, and say, here I am, Lord, send me. And so it will not make sense. There there will not be things. And when you as a spiritual person are standing, as he says in verse 50, when you are making a spiritual judgment, that spiritual judgment is not subject to the natural judgment of this world. So there will be decisions that you will make in the kingdom of God, in your life, that the world will look and say, that's foolish, this doesn't make sense, this is not proper. But guess what? I'm not subject to the world. I'm only subject to the Lord. He's my king. He's my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we live peaceably among all men. We want our reputation to be upstanding. We, we, we want to be known of all men, but we are not subject to those men. We are not subject in a spiritual sense to, uh, uh, to the discernment and the authority. For instance, uh, three Hebrew boys, uh, you, you, they, the king told them, you do not want to bow. They answered and said, O king, <laughs> We are not careful. This is pretty bold. They said, we are not careful to answer you. That's a nice way of saying we don't have to think about this very much. Your word really doesn't matter a whole lot in our life. 
And as long as you laid down the laws, we'd abide by any of your laws. But the moment that your laws or your demands contradicts God, we are standing with the Lord. And they said, we're not careful to answer you, but one thing we know, we're not going to bow. Whether We don't know whether or not God's going to deliver us from the fire, but we're not going to bow. And they threw them in. All the men died. King looks in. Why, why do I see four standing in the fourth like the Son of Man? Well, because you're a carnal man, and you cannot judge the spiritual things. <laughs> but you can witness the hand that God has put upon these people and upon their life. Look at what he says in verse 16. Go on. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, yes. that he may instruct him. Right. But we have the mind of Christ. Praise God. So who are you? Who am I? And he's quoting here Isaiah to think that we can instruct the Lord, that we can tell God how to do certain things. You, who am I? Who are you? Who are you to tell the Lord what to do? Who are you to say, no, God, that's not a good idea? No show of hands, but have you ever had that conversation with God? I will tell you this, it does not go very well. Because I have. I'll be vulnerable enough to say, God, no, that's not a good idea. God, you're doing this all wrong. Kneel down to pray. Has anybody else done that? You kneel down to pray just to let the Lord know how he ought to work things out. Lord, you're not doing this right. See, this is not how this is supposed to work, Lord. By the end of the prayer, you're saying, God, you know what? I really don't have a clue. So I'll just trust you. Who are you to know the mind of the Lord that you may instruct him? He says, but we have the mind of Christ. We don't know. We don't understand. But what have we been given? We've been given the gift of revelation, a gift of experience. <coughs> we have the mind of Christ. We know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I may not understand everything, but I do have the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I understand that there is power when you take up your cross daily and you follow after him. And so I do understand that there are some things that are contrary to the world. And there is wisdom when I live in the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has gifted this to me. So I do have the mind of Christ. So what is he saying here? He says, well, first of all, he said, you, when you're the spiritual man, you have a right to judge, but no man can judge you. They don't have the ability. They do not have the spiritual authority to discern or know what you're doing in essence. And there, who can tell God what, what he thinks? Who can instruct God what he ought to do? No one can do that. Uh, uh, but you do have the mind of Christ. He has revealed it to you. So if no one can tell God what to do, who is someone that is not filled with the Holy Ghost, that is living uh, 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 in opposition to the gospel of Christ? Who are they to be able to tell you what's right and wrong in your life? What's the moral of that takeaway? Well, the moral of that takeaway is we ought to walk after the Lord and His wisdom. But the other moral of that takeaway is that we ought not let natural man tell us what to do? I, I fear sometimes that in our modern era, and, and I thank God for all the advancements and all the wonderful things, I fear that we too often are taking cues from the natural man. We are taking cues how to live our life, how to do things from the natural man, from the non-spiritual. <coughs> and we live our life. We, we do this in all things. Uh, 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 and, and instead of following after the things of God, and if we're not careful, we start exalting ourselves and thinking, oh, I know better what to do. And we dismiss and discard the things of the Lord, the things that God has given for us to do. This is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Amen. Let's go on. So, so the natural man... Uh, 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 the natural man has no authority over the spiritual man. He, he's letting us know we ought to be living above the things of this world. Everybody say ought. ought. We ought to be living above the things of this world, above the things of the natural man. However, that doesn't always happen. And so now enter 
chapter 3. Here we go. And I, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Okay, so we're in chapter 3, and Paul begins here by recalling his ministry with them for the second time, as he did at the start of chapter 2 when he testified and said, I came to you not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in the power and the demonstration of the Spirit. He's, he's reflecting back to that year and a half we know in Acts chapter 18 that tells us that he lived when he started the church, founded the church. And this is probably, scholars estimate, perhaps this there's a five-year span, perhaps, from when he was living in Corinth to when he actually writes the epistle. So five years have lapsed. And now he's referring back. And after he just finished in chapter 2, <coughs> saying that you ought to live above the things of the natural man, he says, however, you weren't. And, and he says, if you continue on, he says, and you're not even still. He said, but when I came to you, I had to come to you as not as unto spiritual, spiritual people that could understand the things of God, but I had to speak to you as unto carnal or spiritually immature, if you will, as babes in Christ. Read verse 2. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Yes. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. So what he's saying was you did not have the wherewithal to digest and receive the things of God. And so I had to water it down and give it to you in a fashion that was easy for you to take. It, it was like milk. So here he's calling them babes in Christ. Now, <clears throat> this is important because he tells them in the beginning how much he loved them, how much he was thankful for them, that they were brothers and sisters, that they were wonderful people. And now he's gently saying, but you are spiritually immature. You are babes in Christ. As babes in Christ, they are as carnal men still not getting it. Think about this. Babies, what do babies do? Babies cry when they don't get their way. Babies have no patience or concept of waiting. They do not understand that the food's being prepared, that there's a process that has to take place, they see that bottle before it's heated up, before it's ready. They're screaming to the top of their lungs, no matter how much they see it's on the way, until it is in their mouth. <clears throat> he says, you are babes in Christ. Babies are selfish. They are the only ones that exist in their world. He said, you are babes in Christ. Babies cannot be reasoned with. He said, you are babes in Christ. Babies only respond to comfort, feeding, and entertaining. He said, you are babes in Christ. Read verse 3. For ye are yet carnal. For ye are yet, yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying yes. and strife yes. and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Are ye not carnal and walk as men? <coughs> verse 3 in the New Living Translation, 1 Corinthians, look what it says. Here, verse chapter 3, verse 3, it says, For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarreling with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living 
like the people of this world. So Paul says, look, what's the main premise here? What's he getting at? He's getting at divisions in the church. And he's letting us know that we ought to rise above the things of this world, but yet our contentions, our divisions, our strife with one another brings us back down to the level of being babes in Christ. What can you do with a baby? Well, there's not a whole lot you can do other than comfort them and feed them and entertain them, bathe them, keep them clean until, until what? They grow up. You cannot teach a baby until the baby matures to the level that they are able to be taught. And so while the baby does not understand the concept of patience or waiting, the parent has to live in the knowledge of waiting with patience that someday this child is going to grow up. However, five years removed, and Paul says, you still haven't grown up. So he's talking to us about spiritual maturity. Isn't it amazing sometimes how we have lived for God so long and we know better, but yet sometimes we still do things that we ought not do? Nobody's going to help me preach on Wednesday nights. And our spiritual maturity is our knowledge can be at a place where we know what we ought not to do, we know what we ought to do, but our maturity level can be at a place where we're still, he says, you're still hovering around the base things of envy, of strife, and of divisions. And he said, there's no difference yet between you and between someone else that is walking out in the world. This is convicting. This is condemning because nobody wants to be this way. There's contentions. There's divisions in the church. There are some things that you have to mature past. Read on. For while one saith, I am of Paul, Mm -hmm. and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Mm -hmm. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed. Yes. Even as the Lord gave to every man. Right, right, right. So we're saying one saying I'm of Paul, and another is of Apollos. Now, Paul, (coughs) his writings were strong. His writings were powerful. But the irony about the Apostle Paul is that Luke, who is most likely a disciple or of the Apostle Paul and traveled with Apostle Paul, when he's writing the book of Acts, the Holy Ghost inspired him to include the story of one of Paul's longest and most boring sermons where someone fell out of a window. <laughs> I'm wondering, Luke, were you really being polite here to Paul? Uh, uh, Peter, talking about the Apostle Paul, said, you know, he's really difficult to understand. And then comes Apollos, and it is said or alleged that Apollos, being a a convert, they they believe uh, uh, more of a Greek culture, he was very good at his rhetoric and his oratory and his positive, his his speaking. He was able to uh, easily understood, some suggest. And so here there was division in the church over... Now, I know nobody's ever heard of this before. But there's division in the church over whose pastor was better. There's division in the church over whose ministry style was greater. There's division in the church over who's the celebrity or who's the not, who, who's not the celebrity or who has the more gifting or, oh, you know, this is... This is about, I know nobody's ever heard of that, but can you believe that 2,000 years ago they were fighting over this here in Corinth? And he says, but when you fight over these things, how carnal are you? How foolish are you? 
Don't you know that God can use someone that stutters with a speech impediment to stand before Pharaoh and declare, let my people go? It's not about what the ability is. It's about the Spirit of God. That's like saying, well, well my pastor, and you, I don't, I don't even, I'm so out of fashion. I don't even know fashion name brand style. My pastor wears name brand this and name brand that. And somebody else said, well, my pastor, he just wears thrift this and thrift that. You know, how foolish and ridiculous is that? That's so foolish. Well, my pastor lives here. Well, my pastor drives this. Well, my, what does that matter? This is literally what he said. Who then is Paul? Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So what does it matter? You ought to be thankful for the person that first told you about the Lord Jesus Christ. You ought to be thankful for the person that first told you about Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Repent of your sins. Every one of you. Amen. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Come on. There, there was something powerful about that. Don't worry. Amen. About how old they were, how young they were. What, what goodness does that make? It's the effect of your life. Amen. All right. Read on. Verse 6. I have planted... Yes. Apollos watered. All right. But God gave the increase. All right. So, so we both did something. We both did parts. But who worked the miracle? Was it me? No. Was it Apollos? No. It was God. God's the one that did the miracle of giving the increase. Right? Read on. So then neither is he that planteth anything. Right? He's not important. Neither he that watereth. Right? He's not important either. But God that giveth the increase. Come on, but God gives the anybody can plant. Anybody can water. It's God that does the work. See, I, we need a revelation of this. Because without a revelation of this, too many people also get, get uh, hung up at the place, and he, he's getting ready to talk about it here. Uh, well, you got to have the apostle. It's got to be the pastor. It's got you got to have the pastor. And I, I thank God for spiritual authority, and God says he gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He gives them as gifts to the church for the perfecting of the saints and, and, and for the edifying of the body. He gives us, thank God, for those ministries, those gifting, those callings, and those talents in here. But we can get to the place where all of a sudden, if, if the one that plants is important, then all of a sudden we limit who does the planting. And we all of a sudden... We, we justify, well, I can't do the planting because it's got to be somebody else that's important. Or who does the watering? We limit who can do the watering, and it can't be me. Oh, I'm here to tell you today that God is the one that makes the difference. It doesn't matter. If I'm planting the seed, Brother Kendall, you're planting the seed. It does not matter if somebody that just came in to the church last week repented of their sins and was baptized, and they're the one that plants the seed and sows the seed. It's God that gives the increase. The faith is in the Lord. Amen. So this is what's important. Amen, amen. So, so Paul, Paul, Paul does not believe in celebrity Christianity. And we're going to see this. Go on. Now he that planteth and yes. he that watereth are one. All right. So here it is. We are one. We are working together. We are achieving the same thing. Paul's saying, look, the reason why I came there was because God called me to plant a church. The reason why Apollos came there is because God's using him to grow a church. We are serving the same purpose. It does not matter. I thank God for that. I I love this church. I thank God for that. I thank God Brother Blake is able to still be with us here. I praise God for that. What a gifting that is. But can I tell you, if the Lord tarries, I hope he doesn't tarry much longer. I'm ready for him to come. But if the Lord tarries, I'm not going to live forever. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the future holds. But we cannot place our faith in just one person or one personality. 
If we get to the place to where we think, well, the only time we can have a move of God is when pastor's here, well, you're not going to have very many moves of God because there's only one pastor. And he can't get everywhere. But if we understand that where two or three are gathered together, if we understand that if we'll just learn to call upon the name of the Lord, come on, if we'll understand that it's God that does the work. Hallelujah. We can see things happen. Amen. So much more. All right. So, so here it is. He said, they are one. They are working together. Yes, read on. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. All right. All right. So he's going to talk about this a little bit later. This is not a, this is not a, uh, a work salvation plan that he's referring to here. This is not uh, uh, when he's talking about you receiving your own reward. Uh, let me just highlight this real quick. He that planteth and he that watereth are one. You're working together for the same thing for the kingdom. But he does let us know that there is a reward that comes. There is a reward that comes depending on the measure of the work that you do in the kingdom, according to the work that you do in the kingdom. God's going to reward you. There's a blessing for that. Number one, I think the main blessing is that you're going to see how God used you. The blessing of being able to be used in the hand of God for the furtherance of his kingdom. This reward is not something that he's giving to us just in the sense it's like a payment. No, we, it's a gift of God. We, we, a salvation is a gift. Grace is a gift of the Lord. But when we serve the Lord and we, we work for the Lord, there are blessings that God bestows upon us. But we aren't forced to work uh, for him. It's by our own uh, volition. It's by our own choosing that we surrender. That's why we must take up our cross daily. <clears throat> God's not forcing me. He's not, let me put it this way. He's not holding a gun to our head. Saying, yep, you want a reward? You got to do this. You got to do this. You want a reward? No. No, this is something we are doing willing. And any reward that God gives to us for serving his kingdom, we will receive and we will look at as a gift, as a blessing, because we don't even deserve the reward. We don't even deserve the opportunity amen, to be serving in his kingdom, but he has afforded us that opportunity. And so he's going to give to us a reward according to our, according to our work, according to our own labor, what we do, amen. So I want you to read on. Look at what he's saying here. For we are laborers together with God. We're laborers together with God. He's finally, he's getting at the heart of the point here. We are working for one thing. Read on. You are God's husbandry. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. And you all are God's building. So now he's bridging uh, uh, the uh, allegory, if you will. Before, he's using the allegory of water and planting. It's like the one, the farmer, the sow, sowing, the agriculture, the, the reaping. But he also says it's not only like that. He said, but it's also like a building. And you are God's building. Your life, your service in the kingdom of God is like a building. Look at what he says. Read on here. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me. Yes. As a wise master builder. Yes. I have laid the foundation. Now he's not building up himself. He's not saying, look, I'm the best builder in the whole world. No, he's saying God gave me grace that I could have wisdom as a wise master builder. When I came to you. I did not lay the foundation upon my personality. But what did I lay the foundation? Read. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. Yes. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Yes. So here he is. He says, I came to you, and I laid a foundation, and then the Lord moved me on. And someone else is coming in. They'll build on the foundation. But then he makes a statement here that invites us all in. And this is a powerful point here in, in this epistle that draws each and every one of us in. He says, let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Now, this is important. If you, if you are an underliner in your Bible, underline that passage in your Bible. Underline that sentence, that part. That is so critical. Because here, what has he been talking about? Well, he's been talking about the apostles' ministry. He's been talking about him and Apollos and the apostle Peter and some saying, I'm, I'm straight disciple of Christ. I'm better than you all. And so he bypasses all that. And now he's saying, look, not only have we laid a foundation, he says, but the foundation's been laid in your life. 
And he says, take heed every man how he buildeth thereon. He's not now just talking to the pastors. He's telling every single individual, you are a part of a building program in the kingdom of God. And the foundation has been set and the foundation has been laid and you ought to take care what you are building upon that foundation. And if you're allowing contentions to come in and you're pitting yourselves against one another and you're thinking you're better than someone else, he said what you are building may not be what you think you are building. Go on, read on. Look at what he says here. For other foundation can no man lay All right. than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Right, so there's a little old English there. For other foundation can no man lay then that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You can lay no other foundation. The foundation of the kingdom of God, the foundation of the spiritual man is Jesus Christ. The foundation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation. You do not get any other foundation. Any other foundation on that, you're not building the same thing. Shifting sand. We could take the time, we could go to Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter stood up and he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. What he was saying, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the anointed one, you are God manifest in flesh, you are the great I am come down and dwelling among us. And he said, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Amen. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What was the church built upon? It is built upon the true identity of Jesus Christ. It is built upon the miracle of the incarnation. It is built upon the day, amen, of the Lord where Jesus Christ comes down and he's buried and he rises again. The psalmist would write and say, this is the day which the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the foundation. Warning, this is exclusive. Paul is absolutely exclusive here. I, I, I know not all of modernity and modern Christianity would appreciate this, but there is no room for any other religion. There is no room for any other philosophy. There is no room for any other human thought. Well, don't get quiet on me now. Absolutely exclusive. There are not more than one ways to God. Jesus said, only by me. I am the door. There's not a lot of doors. He said, I am the door. Not I am a door, I am the door. No man comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because you can't know the Father except the Father manifest himself and come down, reveal himself to you. You cannot know the invisible God. You cannot know the unknowable God unless that unknowable God makes himself knowable unless he reveals himself to us. Jesus Christ is the unknowable God made knowable. That God transcended. Amen. Come down among us. This is the foundation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news is that God, amen, the the God outside time and space has stepped into time and space, and he's come down to deal with us, to save us, to redeem us in our own sin, to to save us and to purify us, to, 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 to resurrect us, to give us life everlasting. And the way that we get that is we follow in his footsteps, 
that like he laid his life down willingly, we lay our life down willingly, we surrender everything, we take up our cross, and we follow after him daily. To the world, it's not going to make sense. Amen. But this is the foundation that we must build upon. So you cannot have, you cannot have contentions because we're all in this together and we're all building on one foundation. Go on. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, yes. gold, silver, precious stones, wood, yes. hay, stubble, yes. every man's work shall be made manifest. Yes. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. Yes. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. All right. So now this is an interesting thing. He's talking about us all having to build upon the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And look at what he says in verse 12. If any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. There's different building materials that are allowed to be built. Uh, you put it all together. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, shall declare it. He's speaking here. As we understand and know, he's speaking here of a day of judgment. There is a day of judgment coming where he uses this uh, term fire because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Fire is a revealer. He said you can build, you can build your building however you want, but when the fire comes, the fire will destroy that which is consumable and it will purify the other things. For gold and for silver, precious stones, fire will purify them. But for wood, hay, and stubble, fire will consume them. And he says, you may think that you're erecting a, a, a great, magnificent building, but someday there will be a day where there will be fire that reveals what you really have built in your heart and what you really have built in your spirit. There will be a day, and the fire will come, and it will be a revealer of what is really standing there. But then look at what he says. He goes on. Not only will the fire be a revealer, he said, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is, that there is a fire coming, not only to reveal what you have built in the kingdom of God, but a fire that will test what you have built in the kingdom of God. There will be things. Now, we know he spoke of a day, and the day of the Lord is coming. There is a day that is coming that will reveal. But, but, but even in this life, there will be days of trial and testing. There will be days of tribulation where you will suffer certain things, and in those moments, it will reveal, and it will try and it will test what your relationship with God, what your ministry is truly, really made of. And if it's just all built on a song and a dance and there's no depth and there's no substance and there's nothing that's been laid in private, nothing that's been solidified, the fire will come, it'll burn it up, and immediately it will be gone. But read on what he says. If any man's work abide, which yes. he hath built thereupon. If any man's work abide, what's that mean? That means it, it not only is revealed by the fire, it stands through the fire. Hallelujah. It withstands the fire. It withstands the testing. The trials come, the winds blow, the storms come, but here we are standing upon the foundation of God and we see that it's been built with things, amen, that, that are preservable. Yes, read on. He shall receive a you, reward. You're going to receive a reward. There's going to be a blessing. Every trial. Come on, anybody know that? That's true in here. Every, anybody ever been through some trial and some testing and some storm? But you realize, hey, when it burned everything else away, you realize what really mattered. You realize what was still standing. And you can praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. There's a blessing. A reward. 
All right, go on. If any man's work shall be burned, yes, he shall suffer loss. All right. But he himself shall be saved, yes, yet so as by fire. All right, now this verse 15 here, let me, we'll end here tonight. This is, an, this is a terrifying passage of Scripture. If any man's work shall be burned. What is the work? Well, he said, look, I've already laid the foundation, your salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but let every man take heed how he builds thereon, how you are building. What are you doing? I, I know you repented. I know you were baptized. I know you received the Holy Ghost, but what are you building in your life right now? What are you doing right now? And he says, if any man's work, when the fire comes, there is a place where we can be in the kingdom of God where we are saved, but yet everything that we have built up will not last the fire. It will be burned. It will be lost. He said he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. He's saying here, you may not lose your salvation, but you can be saved and still waste your life. So that when you get over there, there is nothing. You were saved, but you don't have anything to show for it. What a terrifying thought that I could choose to build. Thank God for the foundation of salvation. But I can choose to build things that will not last and will not stand. And when the fire comes, it's all consumed. I may not. I may not lose my salvation because the fire is going to reveal to me what's important. And maybe, in fact, even the fire is what saves me because I realize what I've got to run back to, but I'm not going to have anything to show for my life's work. What are you building in the kingdom of God? You think you're just going to walk into heaven because you're saved and you're just going to throw your head back and you're just going to be so proud. Look at me, I made it. Oh, no. I think this verse lets us know that there may be some who make heaven with gratitude and thankfulness and hold at the same time intention regret because of the knowledge that they could have done more. I could have given more. I could have served more. Instead, I focused on things that faded. I focused on things that were concerned. I spent too much time. I, I was focused too much on this accomplishment and this success and that success when all the while I should have been focusing on other things that would have stood through the test of time. But I promise you there'll be no one that walks over into heaven that says I prayed too much. I read my Bible too much. I went, to, I went to church too often. Pastor's done gone to preaching on Wednesday night. I'm trying to preach to somebody here that it matters what house you are building. It matters. Hallelujah, I feel the Holy Ghost. You want to take someone with you to the kingdom of God? It matters. You want to take your family with you into heaven? It matters what you do. It matters what choices you make. And if you are a spiritual man, do not succumb to the pressures of the carnal. Do not give in to the world's ideas. Don't let them tell you you worship too much, you pray too much, you're too holy, you're too faithful. Hallelujah. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let me build upon on the foundation of God. Something that will last through the fire. Oh, stand together with me tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you clap your hands?